Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. How many of you love movies? Anybody? What about like going to the theater? Oh, it's the best, right? Especially in the summer, like the big blockbuster summer movies, and you go and you get the big popcorn and the Dr. Pepper and you, and you watch, right? And you don't go to watch like um, chick flicks or anything, right? No, in the summer, you go to watch the big action movies. Are you with me? Like on the big screen, you wanna see the big action type movies. Recently, I saw the movie Top Gun. Have you seen it? Oh my goodness, it's so stinking good. After, uh, I've been driving around my truck listening to Danger Zone uh, for for a couple of weeks. I told Abby I'm gonna get some aviators and grow a mustache, and it'd be really cool if she could give me like some kind of cool nickname or something like that. so it's, it's awesome. But this movie, um, I, I'm not gonna spoil, if you haven't seen it, I don't, no spoiler alerts, um, but, but Goose dies. Um, just kidding, that was in the first one. Uh, he died in the first one. But in this one, again, no spoilers, but there's like some really cool fight scenes that happen, like in the jets, where they're flying and they're shooting, and I mean, it, it's, it's awesome, right? And that's what you go for, that's why you go to the movies, is to go see these big showdown type moments. Um, think of some other ones um, that, are, that are famous, some famous showdowns in movies. Think of like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, right? That's, a, that's an epic showdown that takes place. Uh, yesterday I was at my house and there's this uh, movie on TV called Tombstone, right? You've heard of Tombstone? It's an old, old movie, so I turned it off because I don't like old movies. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, like it's about the, the shootout at the OK Corral in Tombstone, Arizona. I've actually been there. It's a, I guess it's cool, whatever. But anyway, so you got Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp, those guys, and it's a shootout. Um, there's the Hatfields and the McCoys. That's a famous uh, feud, famous showdown that took, took place. What are some others? Uh, Avengers versus Thanos, right? Uh, Rocky and Drago, uh, Tom and Jerry, right? I just want to see if you're still with me or not. So there's these epic showdowns um, that, that take place and, and, and they draw us in because we gotta know who, who wins. Well, this morning, man, we're gonna talk about, I mean, I'm so excited about this text this morning because it is such an epic showdown that takes place in our text this morning. Today, we're gonna witness this showdown between the prophets of Baal and their fake God, all right, and the messenger of God, Elijah, and the one true God. And we're gonna see just an epic showdown this morning. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, all right, so we have been in this series talking about the kings and kingdoms, right? We're calling it season one because we're in 1 Kings. Uh, the next series will be season two, all right, you get it? So. If, if you've been with us, we talked about how Solomon was a, you know, he turned from the Lord and the kingdom of Israel split into two. The people of God split into two nations. So you have Israel in the north, um, that, that occupies 10 tribes in the north, and in the south you have Judah, uh, that's two tribes, okay? And I don't know, it's easy to get confused on that kind of stuff, but today we're talking about the northern kingdom. We're talking about Israel. And in the north at this time, there's a guy named King Ahab that is the king. And King Ahab was a, a bad dude. In chapter 16, verse 30, it says, Ahab 
did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. All right, so King Ahab was a bad king and to make things worse, he marries this foreign lady named Jezebel. Right? And Jezebel, whew, she's, she's a bad lady. And Ahab marries her and then he starts to worship her god, Baal. Okay? And so this, this is bad because Baal, uh, who, who is that you might be asking? Baal is a false Canaanite god that was said to represent uh, the rain, all right? He was the storm god, the bringer of rain. They also thought that Baal was um, like the fertility god. And so they, 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 they thought that he brought fertility to crops and to animals and to even humans. And so what would happen, it was very popular in Eastern culture to worship Baal, this false god, was very popular. And so people would actually sacrifice children to Baal. Um, they would do some really just perverted sexual things in the temple because they thought that it actually boosted his fertility power for them, right? And so Baal was, I mean, this is, this is, this is bad, right? This false god, this false worship that takes place. And if you follow the Old Testament history, you see the people of God, Israel, constantly just on this roller coaster of worshiping Baal, turning away from it, you know, turning back to God, and then, you know, just, they're kind of on this roller coaster that eventually will end um, in dramatic fashion with the exile, right? It took something that drastic to get them to finally turn away from Baal. But we see them kind of turn towards Baal a lot depending on who the king is at the time. And so if the king is promoting worship of Baal, well, the people follow. And in 1 Kings, I think it's chapter 12, uh, don't quote me on that, but um, the king sets up two golden calves and he says, this one represents Baal and this one represents Yahweh or God. And so in this moment, they're trying to decide between the two. And so King Ahab sets up Baal worship because of his wife, Jezebel. You following along so far? I'm just trying to set up the story as we get into it. And so that's, that's kind of what happens. And then in, enters this man named Elijah, right? You've probably heard of Elijah. He's a prophet of God, or maybe what we'd say is just a messenger of God. And, and, and Elijah goes to King Ahab and he says, um, he says, hey, because you've turned from the Lord and because you now worship Baal, God, the real God, is gonna cause a severe drought and famine here in Israel. Which is interesting because I just told you that Baal is the storm God. Baal is the bringer of rain. So essentially, Elijah is saying, let's see if your God can save you, right? And, and so he says, there's gonna be a drought, there's gonna be a famine, and then Elijah just jets. He goes and he hides for three years, okay? Because he's the most wanted man in Israel. He just caused this drought to take place. And what happens over those three years is things get really bad. The drought comes, the famine is, is terrible. And all the while, Jezebel is actually hunting down prophets of God and having them killed. All right, so things are, things are horrible in Israel at this time. After three years of hiding, right, I'm just like summarizing chapters 16 and 17 and the first part of 18 for you right now. You can go back and read it, read it later. But after three years, God sends Elijah back to King Ahab and, and, and to confront him, right? And King Ahab sees him coming and he wants to kill him. And, and Elijah says, look, let's, let's settle this. Let's decide who the real God is. Is it Baal or is it Yahweh? Is it God? 
right? And he proposes a standoff, a showdown. He says, you bring your 450 prophets of Baal and meet me on Mount Carmel and we're gonna have a showdown. And we're gonna see who the real God is, right? And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. Before we do, I want us to pray. So would you bow your heads with me as I pray? Why don't you just pray for yourself that God would speak to you this morning. God, we uh, just wanna pause and just ask, as we are opening your sacred word, that you would speak to us today. On this day in Greenbrier, Arkansas, in the year of 2022, I pray, God, that your word would just come alive in us. And I'm asking, God, that it would be everything that you would have to say and nothing that I would have to say. I'm a broken vessel, and I'm praying that your spirit would just shine brightly through the cracks because there's nothing that I can say that will do any kind of change. And so would you speak? We're listening. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to look at chapter 18 and verse 20. And we're going to read, I mean, this, this story is kind of long, so let me just kind of summarize those first few verses for us. And you can kind of follow along in your Bible or whatnot, but Elijah has proposed this showdown, this standoff at Mount Carmel, right? And, and so verse 20, they're there. So here we are, 450 prophets of Baal on one side, verse one, man of God on the other in Elijah, right? And, and, and so they're meeting on Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is kind of interesting. It's important because it had been declared by Assyrian kings and different people like that to be the place of Baal worship, all right? It, it was declared to be uh, the mountain of Baal is actually what it was called. And so the, the, the altar of God has been torn down and this place has been declared to be the place where you worship Baal. Okay, this is, this is home court advantage is what this is. So you've got, he's, he's completely outnumbered, Elijah is, and he's on their home turf, right? If you know anything about sports or anything like that, home court advantage is a big deal, right? This is like a stadium of 80,000 people, one side screams boomer, the other side screams sooner, right? That's intimidation. That's a, that's a tough place to try and win a ball game. And, and so here they are, like Mount Carmel, home field advantage for, for Baal. And Elijah sets the rules. He says, we're gonna take a bull, each of us. We're gonna take a bull, we're gonna prepare it, place it on the altar, but we're not gonna light the fire. Look at verse 24. Then you call on the name of your God, Elijah says, to the prophets of Baal, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers, all right? The God who answers with fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's fine. Or basically, let's go, let's go, right? And, and so we, as readers, like if you don't know this story or pretend that you don't know this story, like we as readers are left kind of on the edge of our seat going, who's gonna answer, right? Is, is Baal gonna answer or is God going to answer. And Elijah says, why don't you guys go first? And so the prophets of Baal take their turn first. Look at verse 25 with me. 
Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound, no one answered, right? So, so like, they called from morning until noon, it says, but no one answered. Don't you hate it? Like whenever you have something important to tell somebody or a question to ask and you, you try and call their phone and they don't answer? Happens to me all the time. I, like I try and call my wife and she doesn't answer. I'm starting to think like she's screening my calls or something, right? Um, but, and I know she's got her phone. It's always there with her, but that's annoying. Like whenever you call and no one answers and that's what's happening here. They're calling from morning until noon but no one answers. They prayed for hours, nothing. Prayed for hours. And then it says, so, so then they danced around the altar they had made. So they're praying for hours, then they start dancing, still nothing. No one answers at all, no answer. And remember, like, that is the goal of this fight, is to get an answer. No one answers. Look at verse 27. I love this part. At noon, Elijah mocked them, he said, shout loudly for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up, right? So he starts, starts to mock them. Um, if you haven't figured it out yet, um, I'm fluent in sarcasm. Like I love it, right? And, and I, I get the picture here that Elijah is kind of the same way. He starts to mock them. He says, hey, try praying a little louder. <laughs> Maybe, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's wandered away. Maybe, maybe he's just out of ear, earshot for you. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe, maybe he's trying, he says, maybe he's trying to figure out how to do this whole fire thing. And he's, he's working on a plan. So just give him a minute. That's what he says. He says, maybe he's wandered away, which uh, this actually translates as maybe he's in the bathroom. <laughs> right? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's in the bathroom on his phone. Right? <laughs> You parents, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you don't even gotta go, you just need a break, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe, maybe he's taking a nap, that's what he says. So Elijah is mocking them, but not to make fun of them. He wants everyone to see how ridiculous it is to follow Baal. It's ridiculous. And he's exposing the uselessness of fake gods. That's what Elijah's doing in this moment, and then in verse 28, we see that they get really desperate. Look at that with me. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. And all afternoon they kept raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. So they start, they start cutting themselves. Like they start, I don't know, just cutting their arms and their, you know, whatever to just get blood all over themselves because they thought that that would make their God answer them. And here they are just covered in their own blood, which ironically is the actual result of those who choose any other God over the real God. They will end up paying with their own blood. Romans 6.23, that the payment for sin is death, right? And so here we actually see the prophets of Baal. They're cutting themselves, they're covered in their own blood. And despite all the show, all the effort, 
still, look at the last part of 29, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Still, no answer. There's 450 prophets who are left exhausted, embarrassed, and covered in their own blood, and Baal never answers. In fact, still to this day, Baal has never answered. You know why? Because Baal doesn't exist. <laughs> Baal doesn't exist, right? And that's what's just proven. Now it's Elijah's turn. Now it's Elijah's turn. So in verse 30 through 35, he kind of prepares the scene a little bit. And let me just kind of tell you what happens there. You can read it along with me if you'd like. He, he goes in and he begins to repair the Lord's altar that's been torn down and he takes 12 stones, which is really interesting because those 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of God that have been split. And remember, he's in the north where it's already been split. And so in a way, Elijah is reminding all of the people of their faith and of their ancestors and of the faithfulness of God to them throughout their history. And he begins to repair the altar before them and he's calling them to return to God. And then the shocking part happens. He places the bull and the wood on the altar and he begins to get it prepared and then he digs this trench all the way around the altar, the Bible says. And then he tells the people, go get buckets of water. Get buckets of water and I want you to pour it all over this sacrifice that we're about to make. And they come and they do that and they dump water all over it. He says, now do it again. Two times they come and they, they dump water all over the altar and he says, do it one more time. By this point, it's drenched. Have you ever tried to start a campfire with, with wet material? It's not gonna work, right? And so Elijah's like setting this, this scene. He wants everyone to know for sure that what is about to happen can be explained in no other way than the one true God has done this. It's not trickery, it's not manipulation, it's not coincidence, the one true God is about to do the impossible, right? This is an amazing scene. And so here he has the altar, and then he begins to pray. I want you to see it, verse 36, look at it. At the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. That's Elijah's prayer. How long does it take to pray that? 30 seconds, right? The, the prophets of Baal prayed from morning until noon, just wearing themselves out. Elijah steps up in 30 seconds, prays this prayer, saying, Lord, answer me. Like, let it be known that you are God and only you are God. Answer me so that everyone else will know what I know, is what he's saying. And I think like, man, what if we could learn to pray like that? What, what if we could learn to pray like that? Like, he prays for the impossible because he knows his God can do the impossible. He has full faith and confidence 
that his God can do the impossible. He has faith, he centers his prayer solely upon the glory of God, and he's desperate for the people to return to to the Lord. He wants God to receive all the glory, he has faith that he can do the impossible, and he wants people's hearts to be turned towards him. That's his prayer. Man, if we could pray like that, like I think the Lord would do incredible things in and through us. So that's his prayer, look what happens in verse 38. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering. The wood, the stones, the dust, it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So Elijah prays his short prayer and boom. The Lord answers, fire falls. The completely soaked altar and and offering, no issue at all. And God in this moment proves that he alone answers prayers, that he alone is the one true God. And when the people saw it, verse 39 says that they fell down in worship before him because that's the only proper response whenever you encounter the one true God. It's the only proper response to say that you are God. And then in verse 40, Elijah orders people to go capture the prophets of Baal and to kill them. And that's what happens. They slaughter all 450 prophets of Baal and you go, man, that seems, seems kind of harsh, <laughs> right? That seems harsh. He's just doing what Deuteronomy 13.5 says to do. That it says that, that prophets, dreamers of false gods must be put to death because he has urged rebellion against the Lord your God. The point is this, don't miss it. Idolatry is a big stinking deal to God. Idolatry is a big deal. And you need to know that if you worship anything or anyone other than the one true God, that's your choice, but you will pay for it. So that's the story. It's an amazing story, right? As we close out, I've got two points of application for you this morning. Two points of application. Number one, don't walk the middle. Don't walk the middle. So, so this passage was written not to just two groups, but three. So you got Elijah, the prophet of God. You've got the 450 prophets of Baal. But then there's a third group. There's all the people who are just watching the showdown take place that are kind of in the middle. Look at, look at chapter 18, verse 21. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. See, see Elijah, a lot of what's going on here is for the people in the middle. It's for the people who can't decide which one they're going to follow out of the two golden golden calves. He's talking to the people in the middle. He says, how long will you waver? Right? Their heritage, the way that they've been brought up, you know, it was customary in this time for, for stories to be told, for things to be passed along. I mean, this Deuteronomy 15, it's the Shema. It's that you should declare the, the works of the Lord to your children and all these kind of things. Like they've been brought up to know of how God has rescued them out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, how he parted the Red Sea, how he led them through the wilderness and into the promised land, like how he's kept all of his promises throughout the years. They know of all of that. 
Their heritage has taught them all of those things. And so on one, in one sense, like they know to fear God, but they're also just kind of pulled to whatever the, the popular thing of the day is. They're, they're pulled over here towards this other God. And so like you, know, you and I need to understand that, that it's not a matter of if we worship because we're all created to be worshipers. So it's not a matter of if we worship, it's a matter of what we worship. John Calvin says it this way, that our hearts are idol factories, just constantly pumping out and producing on a conveyor belt, these different idols that we will bow down to because our hearts are made to worship. And Elijah here is telling us to realize the idolatry in our own hearts and see the helpless and the quiet things that those things are. That whenever you encounter a situation or a trial and you try and cry out to those things, they're never going to answer. They're quiet. They never satisfy. Psalm 115 verse five is talking about false, false idols. And it actually says this, that you know how they would carve these fake looking things that were oftentimes like in human form. Psalm 115.5 and on says that they have ears because they look real, but they can't hear. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see because they're fake. And Elijah's saying, man, those things that'll never answer, you and I in our own hearts should put them to death. Put them to death. So what are some of those things that pull us away today? What are some of those false gods that pull us away from the one true God today. I think it's so many things, right? Whether it's money or success or pleasures or just stuff, like just having stuff or having the life or maybe it's politics or maybe it's your job. There's all kinds of things. Here's one of the biggest things I think that Satan uses to pull us away from the one true God and it's our time. Our time. And, and a lot of times the things that we are involved in, our hobbies, our activities, like there's nothing wrong with those things. They're good things. But Satan will use those things to distract you and to pull you away from the one true God where you're left trying to choose between the two, right? And a lot of times those hobbies and those activities that we're a part of begin to dictate our schedule, dictate our finances. They dictate a lot of things about the way that we live. And if you're in a stage like I am, a lot of times it's our kids' schedule that sets our schedule, right? And so like I, I understand that, that this is a sports community, right? Greenbrier, we're good at sports here, right? We love it. And I love sports too, let me be clear about that. Um, I love sports, I've always grown up playing sports, been around sports my whole life. I mean, you are looking at, not trying to brag or anything, you're looking at the 2006 Oklahoma District 3 tight end of the year right here, okay? So it's a pretty big deal. So I grew up playing sports. I love sports. If the TV's on in my house in the evening, I'm watching some kind of ball game. Right now we're watching NBA Summer League games. Are you kidding me? Like, these are the guys that probably aren't even gonna make the team. So I love sports, hear me say that, but also hear me say this. Sports make a really terrible God. Sports make a really terrible God. And I know that sports and travel ball are a big deal in our community. I know that they are. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in kids' sports, like I do it. I've said at my kid's soccer game, he's six years old, and I get mad if he's not playing well, right? Like just ask the Wilsons, they've seen me do it. Right? 
So this, so this is a little bit of public confession time for me, and I know that I can't be the only one here today because I've seen you as well yelling at six-year-olds to get your head in the game, right? Like, have we lost our minds? So, so this is going to be freeing for us, okay? We're going to do an exercise. I want you to repeat after me. My kid will not be a professional athlete. Just go ahead and say that. Dads, that, that feels good, right? Just to get it out there. Like, and, and you might be going, man, I don't know. My kid's pretty good. And I'm sure they are. I'm sure they're the best on the team. I'm sure they're the best in the community, you know? Like, and I, I hope that they are. But listen, the likelihood of your kid going pro is .00075%. They have the same likelihood of getting struck by lightning, okay? But the likelihood of your kid standing one day before a holy God is 100%, right? Sports can be good, but they can't be God. And so parents, I'm talking to myself as well, let's not prop up false gods of sports or dance or band or whatever fill in the blank and teach our kids to bow down to it. Let's not prop up these false gods and teach our kids to bow down to it. Like, let's set some boundaries, right? Like sports are good, I want my kids to play and I want them to learn the qualities and the things that those things teach, but if it, if it competes with the things of God, I'm out. Like we don't participate in that. If it competes with church or if it competes with summer camp or something like, like if my kid has to choose between going to basketball camp or, or church camp, it's not even a choice, right? If it competes with the things of God, we're out. And you go, well, if they don't do it, they won't play varsity. So? So? I started varsity sophomore through senior year, both football and basketball, captain of both teams. Ask me how much that matters today. Doesn't matter, right? Let's set some boundaries, right? So sports can be good, but they can't be God. Another one I think that pulls us away is just our image of just walking down the middle, you know, never too serious about our faith or never too serious about following the Lord and because maybe we're concerned about what other people might think or something. I've actually heard people say this, that I'm a Christian, but but not one of those like serious ones, right? Or maybe you've heard it like, I'm not a Bible thumper. I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, but like I still know how to have fun, right? So we just kind of walk the middle and Elijah says, that's not possible. Pick a side, pick a side. James four in the New Testament says, you adulterous people, that's heavy. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? It's combat towards God. If your version of Christianity gets you into heaven but never affects what you do on this earth, you have a brand of Christianity that the Bible never speaks about. That's not the way that we are intended to live. The last thing this world needs is more marginally committed Christians. And Elijah says, if the Lord is God, follow him. Submit your whole life to him. Live every, every day for the glory of God. If the world is better, follow it. But pick a side. Like, pick a side. Quit walking the middle. The second application as we close, this is the last one, is to trust the one true God. That's what I'm gonna implore 
with you to do this morning is to trust the one true God. Tyler, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and come up. Like, we trust him because he's the one true God. Like, he's the one that answers. Whenever we call, like, he, like he can actually answer. And that's kind of the main point of this whole story, that our God, the one that we are here this morning worshiping, is the one true God, and he hears and he answers prayer. Like, just let that settle in. We're like, yeah, of course I know that. He answers prayer. But no, he hears, and he sees, and he answers prayer. And so I don't know, like, what you're going through this morning. I don't know what it is that's keeping you up at night, but I know that you have a God who sees you and who hears you and who can actually do something about it. He's been faithful through all generations. Why would he stop now? He won't, right? He won't. He's the God of the impossible. Ephesians 3.20, Paul says this way, now to him who is able, to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, right? That that's the God that we serve. And Elijah knew that. Elijah knew that. And maybe you're sitting there going, well, yeah, but that's Elijah. He's a big deal. Like he's almost a superhero in the Bible, right? Elijah's just a guy. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way, James 5, 17. Elijah was a human being as we are. <laughs> Elijah's just a dude, just a guy, like you and like me. He just had a little faith that his God could do what he said he would do. He just had a little bit of courage to stand up in front of 450 people who wanna kill him and declare the one true God. And he trusted the one true God, that's who Elijah was. And God used him to do incredible things. And look what happens, look at the result. Verse 39, when all the people saw it, meaning the Lord's power, the way that he answered, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And so maybe today, man, maybe today, the one true God is revealing himself to you today. Maybe. And maybe you know today that he alone is God. And we have a perfect savior who is able to save you. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. See, salvation is possible to you and to me because there was another showdown on another hill 2,000 years ago. Jesus, our savior, crushed Satan. He crushed our enemies of sin and death forever through his death and his resurrection. Genesis 3.15, it's the first couple of pages of the Bible. Sin has just entered the world. And there's punishment that takes place for the sin and things and God speaks to Satan. In Genesis 3.15, 
It's the first place that we see the gospel in the Bible. John 3.16 isn't the first time we hear of the gospel. Genesis 3.15 is. And he looks at the serpent, God does, and he says, I'm going to put enmity, or I'm going to put combat between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Meaning, this is very general, this is very kind of vague, saying throughout history, there's going to be a, a war that happens between mankind and sin. And that's happened. But then the verse gets very specific. It says, he will crush your head. You're going to strike his heel. Right? And on the cross, Satan did. He put a whooping on Jesus. He, he thought he had won. Like he, he struck his heel, but through his death, and whenever Jesus came bursting out of the grave alive, he straight crushed Satan's head. And the battle has been won. The showdown has been won. And because of that, you can know him. You can know it. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you don't know Jesus today, you can. You can place your trust and your life in the hands of the one true God, the only one who answers, the one who's always there. He's never off wandered away. He's never off taking a break. He's not trying to figure out how to work things out. No, he is God. And whenever you see him, the only proper response is to fall face down in front of him and declare he alone is as we close this morning, I just want to read two verses to you again. This passage, we, we went through 40 verses this morning. Maybe it felt like a lot. I want to read two of them back to you. Verse 21, Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And then verse 39, when all the people saw God for who he is, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God. So what about you? How will you answer that today? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.